This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. We are going to study the comparison and the contrast of the angel Gabriel coming first to Zechariah, the priest, and then to Mary, the virgin, to announce the births of John the baptizer and of Jesus the Messiah. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of King Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The title of this message is the beginning of a new series. This series is called Christmas is About Humility. And this specific message is Humility is accepting God's will for my life. Now, I heard a definition of God's will that I really love. It's this. God's will equals exactly what I would choose if I knew all the details. Isn't that good? God's will is exactly what you and I would choose if we knew all the details. The problem is, as humans, we don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know all the details. We are finite in our understanding, but we need to trust in God. We need to have faith in God. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. So the first lesson in our Christmas journey is that humility is accepting God's will for my life. An angel is going to come and make a birth announcement to Zechariah, and then he's going to make a birth announcement to Mary, and these are going to change their lives. Will they accept 
God's will for their lives, or will they have a problem with it? We're going to see there are different reactions to the angel's announcement. So first of all, let me set the overall context for this series that Christmas is about humility. In the book of Philippians, Paul uses the example of Christ as a means of teaching us to be selfless and not selfish, to be loving and serving and caring for one another. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So if the mindset of Jesus is not to exercise his prerogative to maintain his glory as God, but to become humble and become a human and to pay for our sins on the cross, who are we to think we are better than others and put ourselves above others rather than to humble ourselves and to serve others like Jesus did. Also notice an obscure passage in the book of Hebrews. Notice this, and let's say this first line together. Therefore, say it with me, when Christ came into the world. Have you ever seen that in the book of Hebrews? When Christ came into the world refers to Christmas time. He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me, with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. So Jesus, the son, God the Son, speaking to God the Father, saying, you're not happy with all these animal sacrifices offered for the sins of people. I myself will be the ultimate sacrifice who will pay the price for everybody's sin. I am here to do your will. I will go to earth. I will leave the ivory palaces and come to earth to be a sacrifice, to die on the cross so that people can be forgiven. When he was in the midst of it, he prayed with great uh, drop, sweat and drops of blood, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. You notice that Jesus humbled himself, became a servant, and his objective was to do the Father's will. Why is Christmas about humility? The Lord emptied himself. The Lord became a servant to do God the Father's will. The Lord served us by dying on the cross so our sins are forgiven and his own righteousness is now ours. That sets the context for this new series, Christmas is about humility. Now let's do a specific case study between Zechariah and Mary. And there's three things involved in this illustration of humility in the Christmas story. The contrast between Zechariah and Mary. What they had in common was that there was a life-changing announcement that they heard. What was in common is that they both had a heart-revealing question that they asked of Gabriel. And what the lesson is, is that humility is rewarded and pride is punished. Let's look at this in Luke chapter 1. First of all, a life-changing announcement is heard by Zechariah. In Luke 1, 11 to 17, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him. 
Here he is in the temple. A once-in-a-lifetime privilege was that he was chosen by Lot to be the incense offerer who goes into the holy and puts the incense perfume on the coals that rise up to God. And he prays. Our prayers are like incense rising up to God. And while he had his eyes tightly closed and he's praying, he hears a rustle and he opens his eyes and at the right side of the altar is an angel. And when he saw him, it says he was startled. He was gripped with fear. Angels are not little sweet things that you want to pet. They are awesome beings created by God as messengers. And this is not the first time that Gabriel shows up in uh, Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 9, and Daniel chapter 10. Gabriel comes to Daniel and says, I'm here in answer to your prayer. In a very similar way, Gabriel comes before Zechariah and says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. I want you to stop for a second and think of the significance of this. After the writing of the prophet Malachi, there was 400 years of silence. That is, nothing supernatural happened from that time until now. No signs, no visions, no prophecies, nothing for 400 years. And here's Zechariah praying in the temple on behalf of the nation of Israel. And I'm sure he wasn't praying, oh Lord, please give us a son, give us a son, because he and Elizabeth were old. They were past childbearing years. He was praying, oh Lord, you know the oppression we have under the Roman government. Please send us the Messiah. That's what he's praying. And Gabriel shows up and says, your prayer has been answered. Now, isn't this good of God? He had heard Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer for many years prior that they wanted a child and that her barrenness was considered cursed. Something's wrong with her because she can't have a baby. Infertility is a terrible thing and it affects one out of four women. And so back in the biblical days, it was a shame. It was considered a stigma to not be able to have a child. And certainly they prayed for one. God's about to do something amazing. He's about to do, give them a twofer. A twofer is he's going to give them a child who's going to be the forerunner announcing the coming of the Messiah. I am here in answer to your prayer. Don't hesitate for one moment to think God is not hearing your prayers because He is. Don't hesitate for one moment to think that God can't answer a bundle of your prayers with one answer, because He can. So He announces to Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the, wis of the, to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's 
in fulfillment of the prophecy in Malachi that said that there will be one in the spirit of Elijah who will prepare the way for the Messiah to come. So remember the last time we heard from God was 400 years earlier, and now we're hearing from God, and he's saying, it's go time. The Messiah is coming, and your son will be the one who will be the prophet preparing the way for the Messiah to come. He'll announce the Messiah. Now that's a wonderful announcement, birth announcement, to Zechariah about his coming son, John, who will be known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Now let's go over and see that the angel Gabriel was sent by God the Father to Mary to make a birth announcement. In Luke 1, 26-33, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, I want you to notice something about humility here. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Why was Mary troubled? Because she was humble. She was very modest. And the first thing you need to know, if someone is humble and modest, you don't compliment them. Because look at what happens. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I got a problem with that. I, I'm just humble. And she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Watch this. He will be called the Son of the Most High, meaning he is God. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, which means he is human. He's fully God, he's fully human, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So here's life-changing announcements made by the messenger Gabriel to Zechariah and to Mary. To Zechariah, it's you will have a son, John, who will be the forerunner of the Messiah. To Mary, it is you will have a son, Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Son of the Most High. So far, so good. There's a life-changing announcement that's heard. What would be your response if God gave you a life-changing announcement? Sometimes we experience these life-changing announcements. There's the birth of a great-grandkid. Or there's a health prognosis that doesn't look very good. Or something has changed that was always the same, and our lives are different. When that happens... What is our response? We're going to see the response of Zechariah and of Mary. And on the face of it, their response looks the same, but their response is very different from one another. So the heart-revealing question is asked. Any question we ask is from our heart. And what was on the heart of Zechariah when he heard this wonderful announcement that he would have a son finally, and the son would be the forerunner of the Messiah? In Luke 1.18, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And Mary, when she receives the news about Jesus, that she will give birth to the Son of God, the Messiah, in Luke 1.34, she says, How will this be, 
Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. So both of them, in essence, asked the question, how can this be? How can this be? And yet, in the Greek and in the English, there is a wordplay on the word no. Zechariah is asking how he could know it would happen, and Mary wanted to know how it would happen. There's a big difference there. In other words, Mary asked, how can this happen? And Zechariah asked, how can I be sure this will happen? Do you see the word play? Mary's responding with faith and trust, and she has a response of wonder and awe. She's saying, this is exciting. I wonder how God will do what, how God will do that in my case. I believe. Tell me how it's going to happen. And Zechariah responds with unbelief and skepticism. Didn't Abraham and Sarah, um, let's see, he says, I am old and my wife Elizabeth, literally in the Greek, is so advanced in years that she has one foot in the grave. There is no way that can happen. Just look at my situation. So Mary is more open to the mystery of it all, and she wasn't asking if this could happen, but how it would happen, while Zechariah wanted absolute certainty and visible guarantee. So it's doubt versus faith. Mary's question is about God. How will God accomplish this since the normal means of pregnancy isn't available? And Zechariah's question is about himself. His focus is not on God and his plan. He was selfishly wondering how he was going to figure this out. So there's a difference between Zechariah's question and Mary's question. Zechariah's asking how he's to know that the angel's words are true, and Mary is asking by what means the angel's words are going to come true. This is important, that the faith of Mary believes first and then asks questions later, and the doubt of Zechariah asks questions first, and in his case, fortunately, eventually believes later. Also, the difference is between asking for proof and asking about the process. Mary responds with practicality and a faithfulness to follow through. She was asking how the impossible was going to happen since she was a virgin, and um, she wanted to find out more details, seek direction, get instructions, have clarification, receive more information. Zechariah is asking for a sign to see if God will be good on his promise or not. Mary's question assumes God will do something good and great. Zechariah is not at all sure God is good and great and seeks proof. Mary wants to learn more about the goodness of God, and Zechariah mostly wants to be self-assured. In a way, what Zechariah is doing is he's putting God on trial. He's saying, wait a second, God, let me get my judge's robe on. Let me climb up the bench with a gavel in hand. Now, looking down at you, prove to me that you're good. Now, if you had somebody in your life who was very wealthy, and they were very thoughtful, and they shared their wealth with you by giving you nice gifts and taking you along with them on vacation, and they said, we want to take you and your family on vacation with us. We're going on an Alaskan cruise. Would you say, prove it to me? If you said that to them, you would insult them. No, of course not. You would say, thank you. You have been so generous and kind to me. 
when are we leaving? Exactly. That's the attitude difference between Zechariah and Mary. Another thing that's different here is that you have a veteran priest in Jerusalem versus a virgin teenager in Nazareth of Galilee. Of all people who should have readily accepted an angel's revelation, it should have been a priest. A priest who's in the temple. A priest who's in the temple in Jerusalem. He, of all people, should have immediately embraced this announcement and said, praise God, bring it. But no, it's Mary. An angel comes to her home, and her home is in a Gentile predominant area, Galilee, and the armpit of Galilee, Nazareth. No one's going to believe an angel in that secular environment. But here's this sweetheart of a 13 or 14-year-old teenager. She says, yes, sir. What's the next step? I'm signed up. You see the contrast? The question is, who truly is the servant of the Lord? The one you think should be the servant of the Lord? The priest in the temple? Or the virgin in Las Vegas? It's the teenager. She's the true servant of the Lord because she accepted and believed the word of the Lord. And the veteran priest should have known better. Why? Because a miracle like unto his had been done in the Bible before. Abraham and Sarah were beyond childbearing age, and God gave them Isaac. Can he do it again? Of course. Mary had no precedent of a virgin giving birth to a child, but she believed the impossible. And then finally, humility versus pride. We find that, again, it's prideful to put God on the stand and to judge him. It's prideful to... Um, Put yourselves about God. But this revealed Zechariah's heart that there was uh, mistrust, there was pride. When we look in our heart, it either reflects faith or doubt, humility or pride, receptivity or rejection, willingness or resistance. When God comes to you, what question you ask of Him reveals your heart toward Him. So humility then is rewarded and pride is punished. In Luke 1, 19-20, we see that the angel said to Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. The punishment or discipline that Zechariah received for not believing and being skeptical and for asking for a sign was he was both deaf and mute. He could not speak and he could not hear. How do we know he could not hear? Because when they're going to ask what they should name the boy, they have to make signs to him. If he could hear, he would definitely just be able to sign John, but he couldn't even hear. In contrast, we see in Luke 1, 35-36, the angel said, to Mary, the answer to the question she was asking. How is this to be? What's the next step? How does this all work? The angels answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God 
will ever fail. Mary was rewarded for her faith, her humility. And she responded, I am the Lord's servant. May the word to me be fulfilled. And that should be our response, shouldn't it? When the Lord speaks to us and says, this is my will for you, we should say, whatever you want. May it ever be so. A friend of mine said, whenever, wherever, whatever. I'm yours, Lord. Total surrender. Accept God's will for you. Because if you knew God's will, it's exactly what you would choose if you knew all the details. And Mary's faith is rewarded yet again because when she goes over to see Elizabeth, who's Zechariah's wife, and sees this old woman with a baby bump of six months, Elizabeth's baby jumps in her womb at Mary even coming close to her and is immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. John is filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb of his mother, which says something about the sanctity of human life. And she says in a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill His promises to her. She's affirmed. She is rewarded because of her humility and her faith. And she breaks out into what we call the Magnificat, which is her song of praise to the Lord. And it's quoting much of what Hannah said in Samuel, but also has reference to 12 other parts of the Old Testament. And part of what she says is this in Luke 1, 46-48, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. She also says this in her Magnificat, in praise to God. Mary says, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. You see why Christmas is about humility? The way up is down. If you want to be exalted, you must be humbled. You must humble yourself before the Lord because the humble will be lifted up and the proud shall be brought down. That theme is clear. Well, there's good news for Zechariah. Even though he could not speak and could not hear, on the eighth day, according to Luke 1, 59-64, on the eighth day when they came to circumcise John and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. The mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. Because Zechariah had told her what he had seen in the temple through sign language and writing on a tablet. And she said, his name is John. And they said, wait, there's no one of your relatives that has that name. So they went and made signs to the father and uh, to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. You see, Zechariah humbled himself. He had a lot of time to think, nine months to think, about the greatness of God and what he had done. 
I can't believe it. An angel who stands in the presence of God was in the temple. And he told me what the word of the Lord is. And I dared to have pride in my heart. And I let suspicion and being cynical and skeptical overwhelm me so that I questioned him. I had the audacity to question him. What was I thinking? Oy vey! I humble myself. And I now know what the name John means. The name John means God is gracious. You see, we might rebel, we might resist, we might not like what God's doing in our lives, but that doesn't mean He's not going to bless us. He's going to bless us in spite of us. He's going to bring us along and teach us. And we're going to humble ourselves. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? He said, look at the kingdom I built. And then he became like an animal eating grass and his fingernails grew really long until he admitted and acknowledged that God is the Most High over the affairs of men. Until he humbled himself, he was in a bad place. So there is grace, and God is working. Remember Jesus, he died on the cross, but it doesn't end there. Because it says in Philippians 2, 9-11, Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.